0: Hey guys, this is Scott McKay, and you're about to experience one of the most unique episodes in quite some time, featuring my cool and adventurous friend, Derek Loudermilk. But first, I want to let you know that I'm opening up my schedule for the next few weeks to talk to you live and in person for free. The place to reserve your spot is www.thechickwhisper.com/call.c front slash call, C-A-L-L. Let me know when you'd like to schedule our 25-minute call over phone or Skype, and you're in. We can talk about how to get more women into your life, how to make the relationship you're in better than ever, or even how to grow your business as an entrepreneur. I do this a couple times per year, typically, and it's great to catch up with you guys and stay in touch with what's on your mind. So if you're hearing this episode soon after its release, hit pause and go to www.thechickwhisperer.com front slash call. I'm looking forward to talking to you. And now, sit tight, because here comes episode number
1: 93.
0: Live from the mist and shrouded mountaintop fortress that is X and Y Communications Headquarters, you're listening to the world-famous Chick Whisperer Podcast. And now, here's your host, Scott McKay. Welcome, welcome. We got another big episode of the Chick Whisper podcast for you today. My name is Scott McKay, hailing from San Antonio, Texas, and X Communications. We're going to go off the beaten track with a topic that we've never really discussed in full around here. Certainly, we haven't discussed it fully enough, and that's the whole idea of being a man of adventure. And why is it that so many men who we've considered great over the years, even the millennia, have been adventurous guys. With me today is a guy I met rather recently. We've actually hung out in person together. Super great guy. You're going to enjoy hearing from him immediately. His name is Derek Loudermilk, and he is the host of a podcast called The Art of Adventure. Derek, how's it going, man?
1: Hey, Scott. Good to be here.
0: Oh, yeah, man. I've been looking forward to this podcast episode for a couple of weeks now, and I'm glad it's finally happening. You are, first of all, let's just get this out of the way. You are absolutely, positively a man of adventure. And I know you're not much to brag. So you have spent time living in Spain with the road bikers like the, you know, yep. Miguel Indurain guys of the world, yep. the Lance Armstrong types, for those of you who may not be so into road biking, you have lived and studied as a scientist at Yellowstone and even identified a new species yourself.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, that was a blast for sure.
0: You were in Australia living for a while, studying the Great Barrier Reef, and you just met your lovely fiance, and you two are expecting a son together, while living in Bali.
1: Yeah, so one bucket list item I have is just to live on every inhabited continent for three months or more just to sort of you know be fair, give them a fair shake of the lamb's tail, so to speak, and experience in-depth life on each continent.
0: Does Antarctica count as an inhabited continent or what?
1: I'm going to give myself a pass on Antarctica. If I end up there, that's awesome. But if I don't, I'm not going to beat myself up about it because the job uh, opportunities there are limited to driving a snowcat or drilling into ice for scientists or, you know, things like that.
0: Apparently they have a full-time bartender at the Russian
1: station though. Oh, well, leave it to the Russians to you know what's important.
0: Yeah, you got to be able to mix some pretty good vodka drinks, I'm sure.
1: Do you want that on the glacier ice or do you want
0: that? On- <laughs> <laughs> that better be some good ice. That's all I have to say, right? Yeah, um, Emily and I, that's on our bucket list. It's expensive to go there. You have to pretty much not get seasick, things like that. But uh, it is definitely an adventure we'd love to go do. It's something we haven't done yet. So, interestingly about you, Derek, is you're a very down to earth guy. Uh, You're very easy to get to know. You're very easy to like. You're very easy to spend time with. And all of that sort of belies how many life experiences you've had and how wise you are about it and just how much of a badass you really are, (laughs) I think it's almost disarming when someone would actually meet you in real life. So I just wanted to make sure these guys had a very clear impression of just how right it is for you to be the guest of this show.
1: Well, thanks, Scott. I really appreciate that. And it's something that I've noticed recently in talking to people that are more traveled than myself, how calm... And good of a listener they are. Instead of instead of always being the center of attention, you know, obviously they're often telling good stories. But when they're not telling stories, they're paying attention. And I like to think that I'm I have developed a listening skill through some of my adventures as well.
0: Yeah, you are a good listener. Maybe I need to travel a little bit more so I can learn that skill myself.
1: Scott, you're you're (laughs) way ahead of me on (laughs) numbers of countries and. Obviously, uh, you bring your kids along as well, which I'm about to do.
0: Yep. A lot of guys think that once you get married, let alone have children, you know, you're buried. You better go backpacking while you're single, while you're young, or you'll never get another chance. And I have to tell you, Emily and I have gone more places together and gone on better and greater adventures together, especially after we've had children than either one of us did before we were married. So I think that's really a myth.
1: Yeah, you see a lot of digital nomads who are single guys and I think you see that because it's easier to start a business and you're only making a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks a month in your early phases of freelancing or whatever it is you're doing and you can go to live in Thailand and cost of living is cheap and then you sort of require a more established ability to provide for yourself and your family if you're going to you know, bring your family with you.
0: I would argue you have to think it through a lot more when you travel with a spouse and with children, for sure.
1: From getting out the door to everyone making sure they have their sunscreen on or whatever it is, there's always more moving pieces, for sure.
0: (laughs) Right. We see that as part of the fun. Anyway, today we're going to talk about that tendency of great men to also be adventurers. You know, to kick this conversation off, Derek, I was racking my brain before this show started to try to think of a truly great man who sat on the couch his whole life.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: You know, obviously there are guys like Stephen Hawking who you could argue are great thinkers and, of course, he can't help the fact that he's sitting around, literally. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about guys who were spectators, guys who worked in a cubicle, guys who didn't get out and make an impact in a very real, tangible way, guys who didn't take risks, guys who didn't go for it, guys who didn't seize the day. Very hard to come up with guys who achieved true greatness who didn't do any of that, right?
1: Yeah, and as we were kicking around the idea of the topic of this interview, I thought of the Dos Equis guy, the most interesting man in the world. And he's there, you know, drinking his dosekis and he's surrounded by a bunch of interesting and beautiful people as well. And, you know, he's got all these stories. You just like the guy. He's totally made up, but you're like, I just want to be around him because he's awesome. Clearly, they're just painting a picture of this adventurer.
0: And the intrigue, of course, because they always give you about two-second snippets of whatever he's doing that looks just (laughs) preposterous, and they don't give you any details. Yeah, absolutely. Derek, how do you define adventure? I think your definition is going to matter, so I can't wait to hear this.
1: Well, that's interesting because at the end of each of my podcast episodes, I ask people what you know, what's their definition of adventure, and I get a lot of people talking about getting out of your comfort zone, and that's a big part of it. I think there's a few elements. There's always an element of risk. Uh, Whether it's physical danger or in starting a business, a monetary risk, that's like the root of the word, venture. And so you're putting up some stake, challenging yourself by taking a risk. One of the dictionary definitions of adventure has to do with an interesting or remarkable experience. And remarkability almost means you are remarking about it. It gives you a story to tell which means it's out of the ordinary enough that it's it causes a story it causes a new memory and as you look back on your life the memories you have indicate the fullness of your life that you have so adventures actually make your life more full and of course mundane things uh, make your life less full like commuting to work all the days run together and you know unremarkable having a story is really important
0: yeah i love how you use the word remarkable Because if you look at that word, literally, it means you're able to remark about it. So yeah, if something's remarkable, it's worth telling a story about. It's worth writing home about, as they used to say. I love that, and I agree a thousand percent. And I also think adventure is one of those things that broadens your horizon. It's not something that's empty, like you said. It's something that you know after you do this, you'll have scratched an
1: itch. Yeah, uh, the adventurer, the person who's experiencing the adventure is changed in some way and when you think about the hero's journey Joseph Campbell the hero goes on this quest and defeats his big enemy his challenger whatever it comes back as a changed individual however that's changing you, you have a different world view or you actually become physically stronger or you're more empathetic with other cultures whatever it is you're not the same person as before you started the adventure.
0: Now, just to be clear, the Joseph Campbell idea of the hero's journey is that pretty much every story of a hero ever told follows the same progression. If you watch Star Wars, you watch Rocky, it's amazing how close the storyline is.
1: And that it's part of the human experience, the way that we grow and evolve is common across cultures everywhere.
0: So I guess a good place to go with this would be, who are some of those guys who have come off as heroes and have gone on this adventure, who have been adventurers? Uh, I'd love to hear a few examples, guys, who come to mind for you that we can sort of riff off of and say, hey, you know, why were these guys great and how much of that had to do with their adventure? Or, you know, maybe it's a cart and a horse thing. Did the mm-hmm. adventure come as a result of being great or are they great because of the adventure? Sometimes it can be an either or or a both end, can it?
1: Yeah. The first guy that comes to mind is Charles Darwin. As a scientist, he's a hero of mine, obviously. But before he put forth his theory of evolution, he went on a journey around the world on a boat and was observing all kinds of different cultures and the natural world and collecting lots of ideas and letting it percolate. And I think adventure was an excuse or a pathway to let him develop his ideas And there's so many guys that they do some sort of travel and adventure doesn't have to be travel, but they have part of their life where there's a big adventure and then they come back and they create a work of science or art like Mark Twain was a big adventurer, For example, he spent some time traipsing around the West with his brother before coming back and writing some of his great works. And I'm starting to see a pattern about you know especially men that go have an adventure and they come back and they do something they give their gift to the world whatever whatever it is writing or creative or starting a business
0: you mentioned Charles Darwin and of course one of his great crucibles was the whole area of the Galapagos Islands and when you go to the Galapagos Islands you just see his influence everywhere because he was so curious and studying the wildlife. And it's amazing to kind of feel what he must have felt in a place like that, which still hasn't really been developed. And Mark Twain, of course, was great for his literary works. He's known for a myriad of quotes that are, of course, extremely quotable. And yet he was a world traveler. He went to a lot of places. You know, Ernest Hemingway comes to mind also as another author who was widely traveled. Death in the Afternoon is about bullfighting and and so forth and so on. Travel seems to be a common thread. You know, exploring one's world is, in many ways, one of the highest forms of adventure. I think especially back before much of the world had been explored, right? Mm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I read this great book called The East, the West, and Sex – And how because Europe was somewhat puritanical, the guys were actually a little bit sexually repressed. And then they, on their journeys, they were able to explore sexually with the perhaps more feminine or liberated Middle Eastern and Asian women. And so that actually caused a lot of the geographic and global exploration because guys were ready for both a sexual adventure and just to see the sights.
0: Yeah, another example of a guy who was a world traveler, especially back in the day when travel really was an adventure, is David Livingston, of course, who was a British explorer known for mapping out a lot of sub-Saharan Africa. And what I loved about him was not only did he have the purpose of traveling in and of itself for adventure, but he also had a higher purpose. He wanted to put an end to slave trade. And he also, of course, was a missionary. So he had this purpose that drove him to the world travel. And I love learning about David Livingston. And when you go to Victoria Falls in Zambia, you see how he was the first European guy to ever lay eyes on it and what he said about that. And it must have been amazing to be that guy with that purpose doing that sort of thing in a place like Africa. And Of course, anytime someone has the social skills to match, and they seem to have been a guy with good intentions, that's always a plus, you know, when you're thinking of great men. I mean, there's plenty of guys who have traveled the world, like a Chinggis Khan, (laughs) who, you know, pretty much left death and destruction in their wake. I mean, it's hard to call those guys great. But when you have a guy like David Livingston, who I think a lot of American folks in particular haven't really ever gotten to know, you know, vis-a-vis the Christopher Columbuses and guys who are known more for exploring the Western world. Yeah. Uh, here was a guy who was a master at going to a culture who had never, frankly, seen a white skinned person before and making friends with them. And what he would do is he would be a connector. He understood that art of connecting people as a way of making friends and being influential. He would say things like, hey, I bring greetings from the tribe up the river. The chief of that tribe says hello. And they're like, well, you know, we never even met that tribe before. (laughs) Well, they would be friendly towards you. And they're like, well, then you must be friendly too. And importantly, Livingston didn't leverage that. He always honored that they honored him and he didn't turn around and and kill him, you know, and and do something really terrible, like some other explorers in the world have done. He always respected the people he met, and that got him even further into Africa. It's a wonderful story. But see, to me, that's the essence of what being great is about. He wasn't a perfect guy. If you read about him, you know, he was hard to get along with sometimes, and he's often been considered not the greatest leader of the people who are on the trip with him. And And he was sick a lot. But, you know, which one of us is perfect? Even the hero's journey, as you were talking about before, often talks about the hero being a flawed human being in some way.
1: That's why I like Indiana Jones, why I can relate to him, because he screws up all the time, but still is awesome.
0: Yeah, exactly. And he hates snakes, which, of course, is his fatal flaw. You know, that's his Achilles heel. Achilles heels, of course, being part of the hero's journey. Yep. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, Scott, you know, we've been talking about travel And, you know, you and I do quite a bit of travel, but I don't want to get just caught up in just the travel because I think it's important to realize or remember that you can be adventurous without having to be a world traveler. Adventure, you know, as we defined it earlier, has a very broad definition. And actually, karaoke was a really big adventure for me the first time I got up in front of people to sing. And that's something I did, you know, just in my local bar.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I did karaoke also. It was a huge rush. And of course, anything that's like an extreme sport or takes you out of your comfort zone, kind of like karaoke, I think of the first time I ever did stand up comedy on open mic night. I mean, I was nervous for three or four days from the time I knew I was going to do that this Friday night coming up. And I was like, wow, I'm going to prepare for this. And it was a total rush. It was absolutely an adventure. I don't know if it made me a great man or not, but I agree with you that it is definitely an adventure to get out of your comfort zone and do those things you've always wanted to try and just take a stab at it. I mean, whether you fail or whether you succeed, it always feels better to have done it than to have wimped out on it. And you know what? You might want to throw that on the pile of things that have made a guy great never. Wimping out Mm. has never made a guy great, you know?
1: Yeah, one thing I think the adventure... Gives a man is the ability to take his life into his own hands, make a good decision, uh, just not abdicate responsibility for his life, but be in charge, self-directed, or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, because the buck stops with you, especially when you're in a situation, a life or death situation, or something needs to happen. For you to make the next flight or people are counting on you. There's, there's nothing you can do. You can't avoid making a decision. You just have to man up and take action.
0: You know, listening to you talk, Derek, it occurs to me that I've never met or heard of any man, let alone a great man or even an adventurer who was a blamer. Mm. Everybody who was a great man, every man of adventure takes responsibility for his own life and does his thing without any reservation. I love that.
1: And when a guy like the Doseki's most interesting man in the world, or an adventurer is in the room, women are intrigued by that person's confidence. And what belies that confidence is just the fact that given a broad diversity of experiences, the man is comfortable thinking, yeah, I can probably make it through this experience, even if I'm going to have some failures, mistakes, etc. along the way, the confidence relies in being able to figure out the way through a problem anyway.
0: Now, see, I would argue that attraction that women feel towards a man of adventure comes from that aura of being able to be a protector. Mm. Any man who can't face his own world, who can't move forward with confidence and with courage into that world and face what he's going to face and experience the thrills and deal with whatever he's got to deal with isn't the kind of guy who's going to be a protector for her and their children together. And you could argue that the time is past where men have to fight woolly mammoths, et cetera, et cetera. But that hasn't changed how women are attracted to men, what goes on viscerally within their being that makes them say to themselves, wow, this guy is just hot to me. So I think you're onto something there.
1: I was actually talking with my girlfriend Heidi before the show about her feeling safe around me. And uh, she said something like, I, as a woman, want to be adaptable because I am free and flowing and all these things. And I don't want to feel trapped. And I suppose that an adventurer, because they have to be adaptable to what life is throwing at them, is going to be fine if their female companion is changing unexpectedly as well.
0: You know, you bring up a good point there, too. I think part of the feminine nature is to be willing to go on the adventure with the man that they wouldn't ever dream of doing by themselves. It's like when we make them feel safe, they become very supportive and they're our partner in crime. What immediately snapped into my brain is my buddies and I used to ride very fast crotch rocket motorcycles together. (laughs) Even we used to race them out in California. And there was no way in hell I was going to ride on the passenger seat with any of my friends because, I mean, they're going to kill me. You know, these guys wreck and we both die. Yeah. But women always wanted to go for a ride. They always wanted to hop on the back of the bike and they would slap your helmet if you didn't go fast enough. They were just wired differently. When I took a woman for a ride on my motorcycle, she implicitly trusted that she could relax and have fun because a guy who knew how to be safe and stay in control was quite literally at the controls. A similar experience happened when I crossed off a bucket list going to Bob Bondurant Racing School. What they do is they take you around the racetrack with a trained professional driver at full speed, three cars at a time. Wow. And being in the passenger seat was incredibly difficult and emotionally taxing for me because I thought this guy was going to kill me. And he said at the end, I asked him, I said, how do people generally respond to that? And he said, you know, I've had guys freak out and scream like little girls. And I have to kind of peel their fingernails out of the dashboard. (laughs) But almost every time a woman's in that passenger seat, she's perfectly calm and smiling. And we kind of decided together at the time that must mean women, you know, have more guts than men do. And deep down, we're wussies. Now, I think that may be true to some degree. But years later, it's occurred to me that women are wired to trust the guy in the driver's seat Because after all, he's a professional driver. Whereas I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I were at the controls of that Mustang, if I were driving, I would have been like, woohoo, let's do this thing. Let's go faster, faster, you know, yeehaw. But I would trust myself to drive. Yeah. Whereas when it comes down to trusting another guy with my life, I'm not wired the way a woman is. And since I've come to that realization, it's always fascinated me how true that is for so many women. Like Emily will propose that we travel to preposterous places, places I'm not even sure we should go. But her attitude is, hey, look, if you're with me, everything will be fine. Let's do this thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've experienced both ways in relationships when my partner is doing more of the travel planning and I'm just sort of like, yeah, I'll just come along with you. Or when I say, here's some place I really want to go, And I really want to see, and here's my proposed plan. What do you think? And then the woman says, yeah, that sounds great. And having a plan, I feel like, makes it so that they can relax and go along with the flow. And they have confidence that they're going to be safe because you've thought about all this stuff. So whether it's, you know, a plan for dinner... I know you shared the story about making a decision what restaurant your family was going to eat at or a much larger plan. You know, What are we going to do for the next three months? Having thought about that is important.
0: Right. I agree with that too. That just seems to go back to the whole male-female dynamic. Thinking about great men in general, it is phenomenal how men we consider great increased the perception of public safety, whereas the guys who are great villains of history were the ones who disrupted and created death and destruction and did anything but make people safe. Maybe even people who deceived the public, you know, for a brief amount of time to make them feel safe when in reality they had a different agenda. It's always the peacekeepers. It's always, you know, talking about the hero's journey. It's always the Luke Skywalkers and Han Solos of the world who are considered great. And I think that kind of falls in line with what you were just saying. It's that matter of a great man Not only being able to make one woman feel safe and secure, but contributing to the collective safety and security as well.
1: Yeah, we want someone that we can get behind and support, whoever that is, because we feel good about the direction. You know, a lot of people are willing to be led and they just want someone, a great leader to have a good direction and then say, here's how we're going to get there. Come with me. And they're like, yeah, there's a scene in Braveheart. Where William Wallace tells Robert the Bruce, he said, You have the rightful title to the throne of Scotland. And if you would just lead them to freedom, people will follow you.
0: Exercise your birthright. Yeah. You just mentioned the word freedom, which of course is a pivotal word in the whole Braveheart saga. (laughs) Obviously. Guys who are great men were liberators, they make people feel more freedom, they make people feel less constraint. Uh, recently, my wife and I went to Turkey, and a hero of that country is Kamil Ataturk, who's on all the money over there. Because what he did was he took the Turks out of the rather oppressive Ottoman era and modernized the country and helped the people feel more free. And nearly 100 years later, people still revere him because, hey, you know what, here's the guy who set us free. And you see that similar story played out in a lot of nations of the world. Their great leader is the one who either really did set them free or gave the perception of setting them free. In other words, even the North Koreans and the DPRK believe Kim Il-sung was their liberator because he liberated them from oppression from Japan. However, his style of leadership was a bit different than what we as Americans or we in the Western world would think of as quote unquote freedom. Yeah. But because it was pitched to them as liberation and such, it's amazing how people fell into line with that.
1: Yeah. So here's here's an interesting thought experiment. We're talking about national leaders and bringing freedom, but how can you bring freedom to your family, to your group of guy friends? Like, How can you be around them that allows them to be more free? Is it maybe being more accepting of their quirks or, you know, what's going to allow, you know, even on a one-on-one basis, someone to have more freedom because of your interaction with them?
0: Well, this is a podcast about adventures. So I think a good question to ask here would be, does being a man of adventure free people up? Does letting people escape their comfort zone and whatever they feel their constraints to be, does freeing them up constitute adventure? And does fomenting that adventure, for lack of a better word, help a man become great. I think the answer is yes.
1: Yeah. And you can, you can either bring someone with you on an adventure. My friend Martin called me up and said, Hey, I want to set a world record. You want to come with me? And I was like, hell yeah, let's go. And so it wasn't even my idea and and I joined him and it was a great experience or, you know, they might not even have to join you on an adventure, but if you tell a story that empowers them or gives them an idea expands their worldview or or raises the bar, the perception of where the bar is for them, then it empowers them to try a lot more things.
0: The first name who came to mind when you talked about a guy bringing people with him on an adventure and inspiring them to go with him is Teddy Roosevelt. Mm. I live in San Antonio, Texas, of course, and we have a hotel downtown called the Manger Hotel. Okay. And one of its claims to fame is Teddy Roosevelt formed the Rough Riders in the bar of that hotel. And, of course, that inspired me to go learn more about what that was all about. And what Teddy Roosevelt did was, through leadership and the perception that he was going on this great adventure, you know, in the Spanish-American War, made men just sign up in droves to follow him. It was like, wow, I can't wait to get in on this party. And some of these guys died of malaria. Some of them were shot up. I think fewer than half of them survived what they signed up for. But all of them were thrilled to be there. And there have been interviews with people who were Rough Riders over the years, like in the 20s and 30s and even into the 40s when they were getting into old age. And... They talked glowingly about serving alongside Teddy Roosevelt. As a matter of fact, some of them got left behind in Florida and they were upset about it. They were like, wow, I wanted to go do what this guy was doing. And if you start reading a little further into Teddy Roosevelt's history, and a lot of people don't know this about Teddy Roosevelt, but he was actually shot while giving a political speech and continued the speech. I didn't even know that ever happened until I was at a museum at Teddy Roosevelt National Park up in North Dakota learning more about the man and they actually have the coat he was wearing, the bloodstained outfit he had. And I'm like, man, you know, that is one (laughs) tough bastard. You know what I mean? And then he was up there in North Dakota and he's gone all over the place and he's wrangled horses and he's done amazing adventures. And what did it do? It basically put a stamp of approval on him with other guys, even not Mm. just women, not being attractive to women, but being attractive to other guys hey, you know what? This is a guy who's got his act together. He's a guy I want to fight alongside of. you know. And that's what I love about Teddy Roosevelt. I think that also brings up the whole idea of fighting and standing up for something and kind of going out and facing the battle and winning the battle, of course. A lot of guys who are great men are known for taking what we at least perceive, whoever the collective we is, what we perceive to have been the right side of the battle and fighting for it.
1: Yeah. And obviously, I mean, America is still technically at war and we have lots of soldiers fighting, but myself, my friends, and a lot of people I know are never experiencing combat. And so thinking about what is fighting the good fight It's having a list of values and virtues that you want to live by, like Ben Franklin did. So, you know, in his little spreadsheet or having a cause like a charity or something like that, or even just what you want to see in the world or for your family. But having something that people can get behind, you can tell them, hey, this is what I'm for. And they can say, wow, that's really cool. I would like to help you with that, or I support the fact that you are striving for cleaning up the waterways or whatever it's going to be.
0: It's as if being a man of purpose compels you to do something with that passion that you have and that purpose that you hold. And that means going out into the world with courage and having that adventure. And of course, that purpose combined with doing something tangible about it is what leads to heroism. It really does. I think this has been a wonderful conversation. Derek, I want to tell these guys how to learn more about you. Derek is the host of the Art of Adventure podcast, which I heartily endorse. You should go listen to it. He has great guests. He uh, talks about wonderful, adventurous things. Derek is also a coach, and he helps people take the leap to being a digital nomad and does some life coaching and business coaching also, which is very worthwhile. I've set up a special URL so you can learn everything you want to learn and take all you can. From Derek's website, and that's www.thechickwhisper.com, front slash adventure, A D V E N T U R E. And uh, there you'll see what Derek looks like, probably see a picture of his lovely fiance, and uh, get in on his podcast and download some of the special freebies that he has there that'll help you be a better man and a more adventurous man. So, uh, Derek, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a wonderful conversation.
1: Yes, yeah, Scott, it's always fun to chat with you. Really appreciate you having me on.
0: And guys, if you haven't visited the YouTube channel, it is my name, Scott McKay. So if you go to youtube.com front users front Scott McKay, you'll see a bunch of brand new videos that I've put up there for you. And uh, some of the topics that I'm covering on how to get better with women and help increase your social success are going to come from a direction that you never expected and you've never heard before. So go there and subscribe so you don't miss the new ones. I'll be adding new videos there regularly from now on. And also, if you're not subscribed to my newsletter list, you need to drop everything and do that right now because you'll get actionable content every day on how to be better with women and be a better man. That's at www.thechickwhisperer.com. Until I talk to you again real soon, this is Scott McKay. Be good out there. The Chick Whisperer Podcast is copyright 2016 by X&Y Communications. All rights reserved worldwide. Be sure to visit www.thechickwhisperer.com for show notes. And while you're there, sign up for the X&Y Communications newsletter. This is Ed Roy Odom speaking for The Chick Whisperer Podcast.